0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, A.K.A. the Gargoyle,
1: and I'm Eric, A.K.A. the Chimerican. And tonight we're continuing
0: on with our Chat Film Fest pre coverage by talking about last
1: year's film fests. Yeah, well, not last year's film fest, but like years pre- from the last years with an apostrophe at the end after the s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, not 2018. We're talking about 2017. Um, even though I continue to uh, to get those two years mixed up
1: yeah what's up with that man
0: i don't know it's because i've already started looking ahead (laughs) at what's going to happen for next week oh yeah well that's true that yeah i got confused there's too many movies it's a lot of movies man yeah so uh yeah even though i've already covered um all the movies that i saw at the film fest over the last three years um since this is going to be eric's first year at the film fest we're doing again some some pre-coverage and uh kind of talking about that experience and Getting a mini film fest experience,
1: kind yeah. of. Yeah, it's like a mini film fest that I experience solo, so it's kind of not like a film festival at all. <laughs> it's <laughs> more of just like a sad dude sitting alone watching movies. It's a good. It's a good way to pregame, I think, for for chat film fest. At least to give me an idea of like what to expect, and also to, I guess, to remind me that you know this isn't nearly as much fun doing it by myself as it will be with more people. And so
0: many things that that's true about. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Um, like playing Scrabble. You can't play Scrabble
1: alone. But yeah, it's just like. I'm then you're sp- just spelling. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like I do it all the time. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, like I feel like. <laughs> Damn it, Nathan. We're only like five minutes into this podcast, dude. We're we good at things. We can't derail this early. <laughs> we got to get your head in the game, man. Need more coffee um so yeah uh but no like i think that it'll it'll be a good primer because like you know enjoying these movie watching these movies on my own like for the most part i'm enjoying them pretty well but like just i feel like i keep trying to imagine like how much better they would be watching with an audience full of people um so like i think in viewing it from this lens it'll only make my experience in uh for this year's film fest even better
0: yeah and i mean part of it is also or at least part of why i wanted to, wanted to do this um leading you up to chat film fest 2019 is like not to make it seem less impressive because that's not it at all but like to get rid of some of those maybe like overhyped expectations mm-hmm. to bring it down a little bit to be like all right yeah the movies are going to be awesome you're also going to be able to see them, like, eventually. So I, I just didn't want there to be, like, so much hype mm. that you get there and be like, oh, that, huh. Hmm. Like, yeah, like, it was cool, but I don't know. I expected there to be blah. So, like, I think that going through it and being like, all right, these are the kinds of movies, especially starting with The Wraith and Bad Blood. Yeah. <laughs> like, that starting everything off and for me, like, that's that's still really exciting because those <laughs> movies are still really fun. One, they are, ways.
1: definitely. Uh, but that's kind of a smart idea, too, especially, you know, for me, because I have a tendency to overhype things. Um, and I think it is good to, to... I always try to find ways to keep my expectations in check, but, you know, I, I can't help it. I love movies so much that I have a tendency to always get excited about something, even if it's... Especially if something's getting like some pretty good buzz early on or something like I'm immediately like this is gonna be the best movie ever like it's gonna be one of my favorites and then if it's not I'm like it's not fair for me to judge the movie on those expectations yep. on for any movie really um, so it is good to um, kind of take a step back and really like look at it more objectively.
0: Yeah. And, and again, like it's, it was weird even saying that because the entire reason that we're spending three episodes talking about past year's <laughs> film fest <laughs> <to hype> <laughs> is to hype it and to be like, oh my God, it's so awesome. And the movies are awesome. The experience is awesome. But there's also that little bit of, you will eventually be able to watch most of these movies. I mean, even from the ones that, uh, that I saw that year, there's only, uh, I think that the only ones that aren't available, either streaming somewhere or to rent, were like the live shows. Mm. So all of the movies at this point, like you can have access to them, but that's not the point of the film fest. Like, yes, the film fest is about the movies. I mean, it is a film festival after Mm. all. But it's more about the experience of just, I mean, we have talked about it so many times, that cinematic experience of being around other people and having that shared experience of watching whatever it is that you're watching. It just changes that overall. um, And it it just changes it overall. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, part of it's like, all right, yeah, the movies are cool don't get yourself too hyped up because I don't want you to be disappointed and also get yourself totally hyped up.
1: <laughs> hyped up for the fest, not always, for, not necessarily for the movies. Right. And again, weird saying that. Yeah, because most of the movies are good. I mean, they're pretty good.
0: Yeah. they're And and, and even if they're not good, there is something amazing about them, uh, which we're so going to talk about in some of the ones that we talked about tonight. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So the... Um, the movies that I saw in 2017 were Dave Made a Maze, uh, The Feeding Time Short by Matt Mercer, Sequence Break, The American Genre Film Archive presenting The Dragon Lives Again, Happy Hunting 24 by 36 Kedy, uh Joe Bob's live show Joe Bob Does Tennessee, American Genre Film Archive presenting The Zodiac Killer, The Monster Squad, with um, uh, Andre Gower Andre and Gower. Ryan Lambert in mm-hmm. attendance, which was awesome um i got to interview zach carlson from bleeding skull and american genre film archive which again was super awesome uh david lynch the art life bleeding skull presents jungle trap the everything is terrible live show the undress me short the void the award another short film the hitcher hard times davion buster's Heart, and the devil's candy those were all the things that i saw
1: yeah, um, and those are not all of the things that I saw because, you know, I only had a week to prepare for this. <laughs> so I watched um, most, Well, not, I don't even I
0: watched about half of those. Yeah, and uh, again, like most of them actually are available streaming. And uh, when we were talking about it beforehand, like, okay, these are the ones we're going to focus on. Here's everything that I saw that's available streaming somewhere. Uh, let's focus on these, but then let's also like we're probably going to talk about these a little bit. And I mean, this one's worth mentioning. So I ended up basically just giving you the entire yeah, list. Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> focus on these. And then if you have a chance, throw some of these
0: other ones in there. Let's focus on these six movies uh, plus these other 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we we probably are going to at least mention uh, most of the ones that, that I just listed off. But the ones that we're focusing on are Dave Made a Maze. Feeding Time, Sequence Break, The Dragon Lives Again-ish, uh, The Zodiac Killer, David Lynch, The Art Life, Davion, and The Devil's Candy. Like, those were the ones to uh, to really focus on in terms of, like, how how they represent 2017's Chat Film Fest. Mm. Uh, and then we'll mention some other ones. Um, so, yeah. What what'd you think of Dave Made a Maze?
1: Dave Made a Maze. This is the first one that I watched, and um, it was, like, as so- like. Basically, from the moment that I turned the movie on, I was like, this is so me. Like, this is such like, I don't know. It just felt like I immediately connected with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the film sustained that the entire time, but it is one of those movies that is just so charming. Like, here's what here's the thing that I love most about Dave Maze. It is simultaneously Unlike anything I've ever seen, but also feels very like comfortably familiar. Sure, because you know it is. Um, it's everything in the movie is made out of like cardboard and confetti, and it's pretty amazing. Like how much work and detail they put into it. Like it is just so beautiful, and ah, it's it's just it's fantastic. But it has that kind of. Um, very much like that. I don't, I keep, I want to say stereotypical. I know that's not the right word, but basically just, it kind of follows a very standard adventure template, like formula. Um, like it feels very much in the vein of something like The Goonies, um, but a little bit more for grown-ups. I guess sure. really just people who grew up on those kind of movies. Um, so yeah, it was, I love it when movies show me something I've never seen before, um, but I'm also a creature of habit and I love, especially if I'm in a bad mood, which. I think I was on the night that I watched Dave Made a Maze, so this is the reason why I started this one first, is because I needed something that would uplift me a little bit and would just be funny and enjoyable. It was also first on the list. And it was also first on the list. Um but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's just so much fun and you know, I love it when movies show me something I've never seen before. That's really what I want to get out of movies because there's so much content out there and so much of it is very familiar and similar and you know it's good or competently made but that's not really it's not something that will stick with me and Dave made a maze even though it doesn't quite work on all levels it are wrong st- it will stick with- <laughs> shut up no <laughs> I feel like it's a movie that's really gonna stick with me um, more than just about anything else I've seen lately. Yeah. Um,
0: so I should probably mention, like I did on the uh, the last episode, we're not going to be talking about the specific movies in nearly as much detail as we do when we do our full reviews. At some point, we might go back and revisit all these movies for full reviews just because, I mean, we like these movies, and they're fun to watch and fun to talk about. Um, but if you are expecting us to go into quite as much depth, it's less about the movies and, again, more about the Film Fest experience. So the reason that, um, before I get into why I chose uh, Dave Made a Maze for, um, for why it represents the Film Fest, this is the third time that I saw it, and mm. it grows on me. Like, the first time, I enjoyed it, and it was a great way to start the Film Fest, because it was, you know, much like um, The Wraith with, uh, with, last, yeah, with the last episode. Uh, it was the first one of the Film Fest, so, like, that set the mood for the entire weekend. And I enjoyed it and I really liked it, Mm -hmm. but there was a little bit of like, ah, hmm, like I I think that I loved it, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And then on a rewatch, it was like, okay, yeah, I I love it. It's so much fun. And then on the third watch, just every tiny little thing was just like, like I was pre laughing knowing what was coming up. Yeah. But like we mentioned, it is definitely a movie that benefits from watching it with a crowd. Mm -hmm. It's funny on its own. It would be. It's funny on its own, but there are little things that you might not have found quite as funny that other people would, and hearing them laugh about it would have like kept that uh, comedic energy going yeah. throughout the entire thing. Yeah, like, I can definitely see that. <laughs> it's so dumb, and it's not that funny, but it is also just, I, I love it more than I can explain. Uh, at the very beginning, when Dave is in the maze, and Gordon shows up, and they introduce each like their, their introduction to each other is where's that beard at? Yeah, <laughs> beard's on my face. <laughs> so where's that
1: beard at? Beard's on my face. Hey, Dave. Like it's just so. <laughs> it's really like it's it's really I found it pretty funny, and it also just kind of immediately establishes that there is a history between these characters. That like like you immediately get their chemistry, even though you don't ever you don't really even see Dave until like about a quarter of the way through the movie. Yeah, well, um, you, you see him in the intro credits. You see a
0: animated Yeah, time. like an
1: animated. You kind of get a little animated prologue to what's going on in the film. Um, it's a movie that really kind of exists in its own reality, not just because, you know, it's a kind of anthropomorphized cardboard box <laughs> of, I don't know, it's really strange. But like in the beginning, like his girlfriend shows up and she just sees this big box maze in the living room. And he's like, I'm trapped in here. And it's like, I'm sitting here like, you can't, how could you be trapped in here? It takes up like the space of this tiny living room and she just totally accepts it. And she won't go in. (laughs) She shakes the box and like, he freaks out. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. And like, it's just funny, like how they just accept that he's in this maze. And yeah, yeah, when they go inside the maze, they're like, oh my God, it really is bigger on the inside than the outside. Like, it's got this weird kind of logic that it establishes. Well,
0: And when they go in, like it, it is just so... So beautiful. Like, you wouldn't think that cardboard can be beautiful, but it can.
1: It's such a brilliant idea. It's like, I want to make this low-budget movie, but I want it to feel like a big adventure film. Yeah. Like, let's take this kind of indie aesthetic to the next level, and we're going to just use cardboard, and we're going to do everything that we can to make it look, like, just fantastic and huge. And I don't know. Like, it's just a, a great way to get around having a low budget and still make it feel... Um, just like big, I yeah.
0: guess. I mean, well, and like that, I'm I'm almost positive is part of why Chris Dorch chose that one, uh, especially as the opening film for the weekend, because it has that big, anyone who has ever tried to create anything. And gotten pissed off because like you try to do something and it doesn't work or you try to do something and you get discouraged or Mm. you think that what you've done is awesome, but everyone else is just shitting all over it. Like any creative who has that urge to create, but just hasn't finished. Mm. This is just that perfect movie for like, yes, I know exactly how he feels. Mm. And, like, it doesn't even have to be some grand thing like a movie or, you know, um, an amazing piece of art. It could just be, like, writing a poem. Like, just trying to get five lines down. And be like, oh, I can't do this. This sucks. But, like, you really want to. But Mm -hmm. then this movie is, again, just, it's so perfect for anyone who has ever felt discouraged in trying to
1: create something. Absolutely love it. That's the one thing I love about the movie. But I also feel like it's kind of its biggest weakness at the same time. Because... The weird thing about this movie is that Dave's dramatic arc has almost been completed at the beginning of the film. Like his his arc is, I feel frustrated and like I, I never finish anything. And you begin the movie with him in the process, like almost finished with this maze. And basically, the entire plot of the film is just getting him over the finish line. Yeah. But it also takes it a step further, which I think is really interesting. And it's this idea of like, yeah, you can create art and you finish it and you've did a thing and it's wonderful. But then... Sometimes you have to destroy that thing to move on. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, even when we were talking before um, before we started podcasting today and you were like it does the thing that you kind of hate where it sh- uh it tells rather than shows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "But it doesn't." And and I was thinking about that. I think that this is why I'm not upset and why I think that it actually does show rather than tell. Mm-hmm. Two reasons. One, because James Urbaniak is doing a a documentary about it. And so like there's a plot device for why things are being said. Right. And oh my God, it's hilarious. It really is. And for anyone who has ever watched uh, Adult Swim, James Urbaniak is the voice of Dr. Venture. Mm. So yeah, the Venture Brothers are in this movie. And like it it feels (laughs) like a live action uh, Venture Brothers. But the other thing is as they're going through the maze, that is how it's showing you. Like, the maze is Dave. So right. all of the stuff that you see as they're going through the maze, it's like, this is another little piece about him that, mm. that helps you understand more of who he is. This is another little thing. Uh, all of the traps that he set, like, those are his own defense mechanisms. All yeah. of the... I there. There's one thing that I almost mentioned that I don't want to spoil because, oh my God, the reveal of it is just... It might be my favorite part in the movie.
1: Mm.
0: It's just so... <laughs> Oh, God, I want to talk about it so bad, but I can't. It, it, it shows you everything that you need to know as they're going through the maze. So right. that's why it doesn't bug me. Like, yeah, he's most of the way through his arc already, but who cares? It's still a fun little ride down mm-hmm. that last tail end.
1: Oh, and that's the thing. Like, it's so much fun that it really doesn't matter too much. I mean, you don't really need a whole lot of dramatic stakes in this film for it to work, I think. Although Which people do die. They do do which is pretty hilarious like (laughs) i love that so much about this movie is like you get people like they encounter these traps and the movie's so like quirky and silly that it kind of disarms you up front that you really don't expect people to start dying i mean it does tell you actually at the very beginning of the movie he's like i never intended for people to die yeah um And, and they show some of it in the trailer Oh, I didn't watch the trailer beforehand. I, I didn't want to like look up anything about the movie. I mean, I knew about it. I just didn't watch anything about it. Um, right. But like, you know, you get a scene where somebody is decapitated and like confetti just starts <laughs> sp- like flying out of their neck, like red confetti and silly string. And it is so hilarious. Oh like it's an amazing, just fantastic idea. And I love to there's even a part early on where somebody gets like a, a cardboard cut, which had God, that has to hurt like hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it bleeds, and when the blood hits the ground, it kind of like disappears. Yeah. The, um, the maze absorbs it. Yeah, it absorbs it, and it's just an interesting idea that the maze is taking um these real characters and kind of slowly morphing them into something else. Yeah. In a way. It is both taking life and giving life. Exactly. It's really fun. Um so yeah, like it's it's the fun really sustains it. The only other criticism that I have is I feel like I would have liked it a lot more if I was a little bit younger because, Rock. well, it's, I think that the conflict and the central conflict in the film is almost too relatable because it feels so general, like all these problems that Dave has where he, there's a moment where he vents about how, how much he hates his life and how, you know, he feels like he's never done anything. It's like, yeah, you know, I have to ask my parents for money and I have blah, blah, blah. It's like. Yeah, dude, this is what every human being on Earth has to deal with, and that's it up.
0: that's why I think that it's uh, appropriate for you know our current age rather than like watching it as a teenager. Because mm. if you watch it as a teen, it's like, oh come on, I'm not going to end up like him. I still got my entire life ahead of me. Like it is, it is for us because of the, like we're still in that age where we think that we have our entire life ahead of us, mm. and then we stop for a second and realize like, wait, we're getting old. Yeah like,
1: ah, I feel like I worried more about like, I'm already to, I mean, that's the thing. Like I'm already to a point where I'm, I'm luckily, you know, I mean, like I'm kind of reached a point where, you know, I have those problems and, you know, I still have to deal with life and bills and all that stuff, but I'm comfortable. And I like when I was younger, when I was a teenager, like I'm about to graduate high school or something. And, you know, I really want, I'm really interested in filmmaking and, I don't know how that stuff is going to pan out for me at this point. And yeah. it's something that scared me a lot more when I was younger than it does now. And I've kind of just accepted my position at this point. And anytime I hear, I mean, it's, but, I'm, but, I'm a little too jaded. That's, but that's, but that's the thing. Like, even when he's talking about, I have to beg for jobs that
0: I hate, yeah. you know, like, I feel like it is for the you know jaded late 20s early 30s that have like tried doing something mm-hmm. and there is still that potential there is still that time to make a difference but you're starting to hit the point where you are jaded and you are yeah. starting to hit the point where it's just like oh god do I really have to go to work today can't I just like stay home and make a maze out of cardboard right. like that to me is why why it is perfect for, uh, for our age.
1: Yeah, and again, like, I feel kind of unfair having this criticism. It's just one of those things where I'm like, it feels very much like first world problems, you know? Well, I mean, sure. But again, it so, is also a movie about a dude who makes a maze and has to fight monsters and stuff. Yes. So, I mean, it's fitting. It's not really, like, I don't feel like it's fair of me to really say this stuff, but that's just kind of what my initial thoughts were going into it. And again, like, I still love this movie. I think it's fantastic. It's so creative and so much fun, and I would recommend it to just about anybody yeah the uh, the only other and i'm not going to call this a criticism this is just again me i really am kind of sad that it's it's not r-rated it's unrated but it's definitely not for children because like i I want my show it to kids Mm, i wouldn't at this point (laughs) like i really want to share this movie with my kids especially my youngest son because he's he's really getting into art and drawing and stuff and he's at this point where if he ever makes a mistake on a drawing, he just immediately gets upset and starts ripping it up. And I'm like, no, like you can you can turn this into something else and you can, you know, like every person who is draws anything has encountered this and they use that to learn. And so I don't know, like just, I wish that I could share this movie with my kids because I feel like they would absolutely Just shield his love eyes it. during some of the bloody parts,
0: the confetti parts, and <laughs> um, like get timestamps so you can mute some of the words that you don't want him hearing yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could, but I it, probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely it, will be sharing it with them when they're a little bit older, though, like next year. So <laughs> along
0: with all of the things that I've already said in terms of why I picked it, just in um, in, in regards to like um, being a frustrated creative and all of that piece about the actual movie, the other reason that uh, that I really, really wanted to talk about this one and like why this is such it, just such an amazing example of the film fest Again, it was the first film of 2017 and they played it at the uh, the aquarium's IMAX. And outside of the
1: IMAX theater,
0: they had a cardboard tank.
1: Yeah, you told me about this before we started recording and I immediately just like filled with rage at yep. the fact that I had to that I missed this because that sounds so awesome. So
0: the tank, pretty cool. Like, oh, that's that's awesome. There's a cardboard tank outside the theater. That's it's pretty great. Especially like when they launched confetti out of the, um, <laughs> not nozzle, but out of the, the barrel of the tank. Yeah. Like it was a quote unquote functional tank. But then when you go in, in order to get into the theater, like in order to get into where you're actually um, watching it. So from the lobby into the theater itself, there was a cardboard maze with all of the rooms that were actually in the movie mm-hmm. and a dude with a cardboard minotaur mask on. That's ah, so awesome. So, so, like, you were engrossed in the movie before actually getting into the movie.
1: Yeah, like, that seems like such a perfect primer for the film. Like, you just immediately engaged right before you even start the movie. That's so yeah. awesome.
0: The best slash worst part about it, the maze was in front of the bathrooms. <laughs> they did that on purpose so like at one point it was like i have to pee how do i get to the bathroom like like i was i was legit getting frustrated because there was a maze and i did not know how to get out of the maze into the restaurant. and then you <laughs> related
1: to the film even more yes i also love that like i don't want to spoil any of the gags but some of the stuff is so creative like there's just a lot of great visual effects and there's like there's a kind of a pseudo trope kind of thing in the movie that's really cool that's not a visual effect or that is a visual effect it's mm-hmm. not a computer effect Um, that's really cool yeah just about
0: everything is practical like yeah. I the only CG stuff that I can think of Uh, there, there's one scene like where stuff sped up a little bit uh, and the animation but like everything else it's practical
1: effects yeah they, and even, they even do the cool little uh screen effect that you get from Videodrome with the TV like the hand coming through the TV there's a yeah. scene where you have that that's really funny um I don't know, man. It's it's really just so much fun. It's not perfect, of course, but like I I had a blast with the movie. It's not perfect, but it is freaking amazing.
0: It is. I I cannot explain how much I love this movie. So much fun,
1: and especially again, if you're a- like an artistic or creative kind of person, like you would just you'll just. Even if you don't quite get into the story of it or whatever, like you can absolutely marvel at what they created. Yeah. And and again, like such a great start to 20, uh,
0: 2017. I'm going to keep flubbing over and saying 2018. Such a great start to that year's film fest. All right. The next one, I, we've talked about these movies so much, so we're not going to talk about them in quite as much detail in terms of the actual movies themselves, but like why they're on the list and why they like are CFF to me feeding time and sequence break mm. feeding time directed by Matt Mercer, uh, produced by Kevin and Jen Sluter with, um, Stacey Snyder and, um, oh crap, Graham Skipper. But I'm trying to remember, um, trying to remember the other girl's name oh crap she was in dementia she was the stylist um, uh, um i'm trying to find it <laughs> god i this is what happens when i don't pull things up before i start talking um why didn't it? Oh, yeah. man i i am the worst you're um,
1: terrible i can't believe you have a podcast
0: <laughs> i know i i am so so bad at things um God, I am so sorry. Najara Townsend. Yeah, there we was, go. Yeah, I just pulled up. Like, I, I knew that I would remember it. Uh, yes, so Najara Townsend, Stacey Snyder, Graham Skipper, and some babies. I love so much.
1: Some babies. Just some of them. Those those babies, man. <laughs> they are super adorable. Let me tell you. So, you just want to hold them and yeah, cuddle them.
0: I mean, they need
1: love. They definitely
0: they so something I, I,
1: they need direction i
0: know that i brought this up um when when we were doing our 60 days of halloween with matt but like feeding time is where my love affair with matt mercer and graham skipper really started um so so yeah because i saw it in knox horror fest um i think just a few months prior to uh to the 2017 <laughs> chat film fest and so like knowing that it was playing again i was so excited and so happy and it's just so much fun
1: mm. It's not really a whole lot to say about it. It is just a really, really
0: fun horror short.
1: Yeah, I really love, especially the the little opening part with the parents. Like, that's just, the the performances there are just so much fun and so bizarre. Like, ah, I just, I love it so much. It's so good. <laughs> one of the biggest laughs.
0: This, uh, You know what? No, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil one of the laughs. It was a thing. That you wouldn't necessarily expect to be that funny but it was just so relatable mm-hmm. for anyone that has tried to have an electronic conversation <laughs> that it's just <laughs> yeah. it's
1: perfect so good. i love it um
0: yeah and, and it's feeding, on youtube right i mean yeah you can
1: find it yeah on youtube so definitely and it's only like 15 minutes so yeah. worth checking out
0: yeah and i did um meant, i meant to mention this last time um but i think that i forgot Chat Film Fest on their website, chatfilmfest.org, it has all of the movies that were screened each year. So you can go back and look at all of the short films, which there are so, so many, um, and all of the feature length films. So it has everything that's screened each year. And then you can use an app like uh, Just Watch or just go to the Just Watch website and see where it's streaming. So if if you're like me and you don't really want to open up four different uh, streaming services to try to find whether or not it's there, it's a great app. It just lets you know, like, yeah, it's available here. Or if it's not available for streaming, it lets you know where you can rent it. Um, so it's it's just a great way to find um, what is actually available. Um so yeah, rather than linking to where all of them are, because I don't know who has what service, just go to the chat ChatFilmFest, chatfilmfest.org, look at the past festivals to see what played, and then use
1: Just Watch to, uh, to see where you can find it. Yeah, Just Watch has been like a total game changer for me, because yeah. I used to have to, like, I would just go through and manually check all these streaming sites, or... Um, on Letterboxd, they've got like, go watch it, I think, um, connected to all the films, but it's not always exactly accurate and it doesn't take into account like the streaming services that are, uh, not subscription based, but yeah. ad based. Yeah. Like to be yeah. stuff like that. Um, and like, it's, it's fantastic. Like it's always really up to date and you can even set it to where, uh, you can see every day what's been added to specific services and that's been awesome for me yeah um now the
0: only thing that it doesn't include it includes youtube if it's like the youtube premium but if it's just a video on youtube it doesn't include that so i don't think that you would find feeding time on there but yeah just go to youtube and search for feeding time it should be the first one that pops up Mm -hmm. um and i'll I'll probably link it because i I just love matt so of course i'm going to support everything he does um so yeah feeding time screened right before sequence break and i i love sukin's break i love graham the first time that i saw it i had to leave early so i didn't get the ending and oh my god it was so frustrating
1: oh yeah that's right i forgot about that
0: god it the movie itself wasn't frustrating leaving before knowing how it resolved and like having all these questions of okay is it going to end this way or this way because if it ends this way that's awesome if it ends this way i am not going to be a happy person um, but thankfully I was a happy person once I finally saw the end <laughs> of it like a year later. Um, but yeah, we we've talked about feeding time and sequence break so much. We even did an entire episode on sequence break already.
1: Yeah, we did that one in October, September, or October. I can't remember exactly when. Yeah, and then you've had an, you've done another episode, you've done a couple other episodes on it. You did an interview with Graham, and um, then you just did like your individual review of the film. Yeah. Um. So yeah, go check those out if you want to learn more about those movies. But I mean, we can tell you now that we we give both of them our stamp of approval. Yes,
0: they <laughs> they absolutely get a Gargoyle thumbs
1: up, and a chimerican toes up. Toes up, yeah, or tails up. Sure. Because Chimerican have tails. Yeah. Chimericans. One one of these days you're gonna have a proper logo. Chimericans? Yeah. Okay. It's a
0: cut it's a Well no,
1: there's only one Chimerican. Let's just there there's no I'm the only one. (laughs) All right. Um so the reason and again we've talked
0: about these plenty. The reason that we included them on this is absolutely part of the Chat Film Fest experience it's hard for me to think of chat film fest now without thinking of matt and graham and part of that is because i was able to interview them last year which we'll talk about on the next episode um but uh yeah in the same way that i talked about with 2016 how the chat film fest is what really kicked off the podcast in terms of like you know what i'm I'm just going to talk about some of these the review that I did over feeding time where I was like, Oh man, I'm so upset because like Matt was there and I really wanted to tell him that the movie was awesome. And like, I really like his style. And like, I didn't because sometimes I'm not good with words. Like Matt responded to it and was like, dude, you should have just come up and said, Hey, and I was like, Oh, oh that's how I, these things work. <laughs> you mean I can talk to a person? What?
1: <laughs> well, no, I get that. I mean, you know, we're, we're there. Like, it's, it's definitely, it's always intimidating whenever you admire someone and you want to talk to them about it. And it's just like, I, I don't know, even know what to say. Like, I don't want to sound stupid. I just want to tell you how much I admire your work. But yeah. And yeah, like, you so. don't want to
0: be a jerk and walk up to them when they're already talking to someone and be like, hi, you did a thing. You're cool.
1: Well, you, you have to, you always expect to that, you know, <clears throat> they, they have to deal with this kind of stuff all the time. You don't want to just be some other person who coming up and, you know, interrupting their day with something that they may not want to hear about at that point but i mean it's that's the great thing like to see him actually reach out to you ahead of time like that has that that's so just welcoming and not, i mean i don't know like that's just that's just something you don't expect yeah and um definitely would make me feel better about approaching someone yeah <laughs> Yeah. And so
0: like, even though I didn't talk to them until the next year and like at one point uh, before s- uh, sequence break, like I saw Graham and he was just standing there. I was like, I should go up and talk to him. I should go up and talk to him. But I felt like a junior high school stereotype of like a dude wanting to ask a girl out to prom where it was just like, she's right there. Just just go up and talk to her. Just, just, she's going to say no. And so, like, I was, like, inching my way closer to him, just like, all right, this is starting to get weird. Uh, I should just go sit down and <laughs> not seem like a complete stalker. Uh, <laughs> so even though I didn't actually talk to them until the following year, the fact that because of 2017, like, that's where my friendship with them really started developing. I Again, like, I just have such a huge place in my heart for both uh, Feeding Time and Sequence Break and Matt and Graham. And I just, yeah can't talk about that film fest
1: without talking about them definitely yeah <laughs> you weren't there i was gonna say i can't talk about them but because i've still only met them vicariously through the magic of uh skype and whatnot but um maybe they'll be th- I, I hope they're there this year i don't know but i would love to actually meet them in person
0: yeah they i i <sighs> I really hope that they're able to show up. I and really, hopefully we you know really we'll, hope
1: so. hopefully we'll uh, we'll meet other people that can become part of the the Gargoyle family extended family. Friends of the Gargoyle. Yes. Which um, not to give spoilers,
0: but if you listened to last episode where we started talking about fanny packs, we're going to make that happen. We're going to have like a Friends of the Gargoyle appreciation pack. So <laughs> uh, Kevin, Matt, Graham, Bill, Kyle, other people that we've talked to, eh, not soon because, you know, we have other crap to do. But eventually, you're getting a gargoyle fanny pack. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't you dare apologize. <laughs> Don't you dare. We're Doing this out of the kindness of our hearts and a fanny pack is an amazing, super practical gift. Oh, my God. <clears throat> They're going to love it. Yes. Yes. All right.
0: Uh, it, anything else to say about sequence break or feeding time or Matt or Graham
1: uh, sequence break is on shutter and you should watch it and then you can also watch it with commentary which I still think is super <laughs> cool that a streaming service includes commentary because you really don't get that on any other service that I'm aware of other than shutter yeah um, and it's just it's definitely worth listening to because Graham's. I mean he always has something interesting to say and um, you know you can learn more about the process of the film like I, I really enjoyed it and and if you
0: really want to hear more, uh, go back and listen to the interview that I did with them because I I ask a lot of probing questions because that movie definitely is very probe worthy. <laughs> All right, probe worthy. So, yes. Um. So yeah. Next is The Dragon Lives Again and The Zodiac Killer, both presented by American Genre Film Archive. Yeah. We talked about them last time, I think. Oh crap! Did we talk about them? I need to pull up my other list of what we talked about from 2016. We talked
1: about. Wait, which ones did we talk about? Were you asking? I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not paying attention. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) You're the worst. Okay. I I might have mentioned them, um, but we didn't have a chance to actually talk about the movies that they presented in 2016. But in 2017, uh, American Genre Film Archive presented Dragon Lives Again and uh, The Zodiac Killer. And then Bleeding Skull, which involves some of the same people, presented Jungle Trap. I I love with just like the deepest part of my heart everything that Agfa and Bleeding Skull does. Because they genuinely believe that there is no such thing as a bad movie. Except for like big budget movies that suck. So like just the... Uh, so if you put no money into your movie, it's automatically great. The types of movies that are shot on VHS, like the kinds of movies that back in the 70s two dudes like us were like, we should make a movie. Yeah. We don't have any equipment. Yeah. I got my home video camera. Good enough. Let's make it happen.
1: Well, I do love, like, I think it's wonderful that they have actually dedicated their their time and energy and money into giving these films visibility that otherwise you probably would have never heard of and giving these filmmakers the chance to actually get their films out to the world because i mean you know in a lot of cases they may have had you know had distribution at one time back whenever or not but even distribution with, or just with american
0: genre film archive yes some of them
1: yes with right. bleeding skull like i
0: don't know if they put out anything that was not just a straight like shot on video they just, found just some dude has it just in the trunk of his car true story on one of them so <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that's, I think it's fantastic. And uh, I mean, you're they're kind of like resurrecting lost art. In yeah. a way. they're like Indiana Jones. But you know, with crappy VHS movies <laughs> that deserve to be seen. They deserve an audience. They absolutely deserve
0: an audience. Um, I might not have talked about this on the last episode, but I know I've talked about it before in terms of like my love and appreciation for quote unquote bad movies. Is in part because of Agfa and Bleeding Skull, because of the love that they put into these films, and especially because they always have backstories. Like I don't think there's been a single uh, Agfa or Bleeding Skull film that's shown at Chat Film Fest that I saw that they didn't have uh, they didn't have a, a backstory on like either how they found it or like how the movie itself was made, um, and. Uh, Zach Carlson, who is with Agfa and Bleeding Skull, who I got to interview that year. Such a nice dude. And, um, oh, crap. I can picture his face. I'm just drawing a blank on his name, especially because his last name is not an easy one to pronounce. And I'm very bad at pronouncing names. Um, They're there and they introduce the movies and and they talk about them. And um, they give you, again, those backstories. That you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, it really enhance um,
1: the viewing experience. Uh,
0: Joe, I want to say Joe Zimba. Zim, God, how do I pronounce his name? You're going to cut this part out, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joseph Z- Zimba. Z-I-E-M-B-A. Um, oh, I really thought it was going to be long. I thought there would be more syllables. No. No. <laughs> anywho. Uh yeah, like they're just both like super nice guys and um their story on Dragon Lives Again was that after Bruce Lee died, there was just a slew of Bruce exploitation movies. And if you've never seen a Bruce exploitation
1: movie, they're hilarious. Because- I have never seen one. Sadly, I did not get a chance to to watch the dragon lives again before the recording of this podcast i, I started it a couple of times but i didn't get very far into it
0: so here's what you need to know about the dragon lives again bruce lee is dead bruce lee lives again
1: bruce <laughs> lee
0: <hell>. yes well <laughs> not technically hell just in, in the underworld okay so bruce lee prayed but played by bruce lung because of course um he is in the underworld and fighting against the king of the underworld, but in the process of fighting against the king of the underworld, he has to fight Dracula and his zombies, right? Zombies. Yeah, because Dracula has zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, James Bond, Clint Eastwood, specifically the man with no name, Clint Eastwood. Um, who, who else? Uh, the Exorcist. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Which um, <laughs> I don't know why they presented the exorcist like as a horror monster. Like they didn't present him <laughs> as a father, whichever father it father was that actually Marin. exercised. Yeah, they, they didn't present him as like, you know, Father Marin. He was like the, the Exorcist, like a boogeyman, <laughs> the Godfather, Emmanuel, um, mm-hmm. um uh Zadoichi, the blind swordsman. Mm-hmm and i think that those were all the people that he fought against but along with him was popeye the sailor man
1: yeah popeye was his his compatriot i watched the trailer for the movie which i mean i i would encourage everyone (laughs) to watch a trailer for this film because wow all that you need is the trailer no. Okay. No, more. you need, you need the I actual need movie more,
0: but but to get sh- sufficiently amped. And like, I'm 90% sure the trailer is um, like a trailer that an indie theater made about a screening that they were going to do. So, you know, like if uh, Alamo Drafthouse house was like, Oh, this is what we're playing this week. It felt more like a modern trailer rather than what they actually tried to use to promote the movie. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't care that it's a modern trailer. Like it gives it so much fun and so much energy and, and the movie is just so bonkers. Like, at one point, oh, my God. At one point, Bruce Lee, you know, sure, whatever. Bruce Lee is fighting against uh, Zadoichi, And they just, like, keep announcing the moves that they're going to do. <laughs> so, like, they're bragging on, like, oh, yeah, this is my move. <clears throat> take Take a guess at the name of all of Bruce Lee's moves. Um... Baby Dragon. No. Something. Close, though. <clears throat> the names of all of his moves that he's announcing are the names of his movies. Oh, of course. Yeah, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's just like, come on, seriously?
1: Also, I love the idea of, like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> you better not defend against it.
0: Oh, man. So it's like Flying Crane Kick, enter the dragon.
1: <laughs> so great
0: it's so (laughs) what is
1: enter the dragon like i'm just trying to imagine like i almost don't want to watch it because i'm it seems like it'd be more fun to imagine what he's doing when he tells his opponent to enter the dragon you
0: you ever seen a couple of kids slap fight but like think they're all big and bad yes that's what it's like okay i'm down for that i can't (laughs) oh my god i I just can't it is so (laughs) mind-bogglingly amazing um yeah so the dragon lives again is probably one of the funniest bruce exploitation movies definitely the funniest that I've ever seen um, it, if you're not a fan of kung fu if you're not a fan of bruce exploitation you're gonna think it's dumb but then again you
1: also get to see Popeye fight Dracula yeah like where else are you gonna see that I don't know where yeah that's the answer
0: it's so so something <laughs> all right now you did watch uh, the Zodiac killer I did really? yes <clears throat> From 1971, not to be confused with Zodiac, and there's a few other Zodiac killer movies. None of them like this one, though.
1: There's another one called Zodiac Killer too. Like it's not. It, it just drops the the, um, and that was made in like the 2000s. This one's from 1971, and um, it is a. It's not a movie. I think is I think it's kind <laughs> yes, is kind of how we're gonna. Okay, so it was not intended. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. This movie exists for more than just audience entertainment or whatever. Like it was it is a document that was created to lure the real Zodiac killer into a theater so he can yes. be captured, basically. Yes. Like that is the reason this movie exists. Yeah. And uh, no other reason.
0: Directed by Tom Hansen who like he was convinced that he was only ever going to have to show this movie once because the Zodiac killer was going to be so enticed by the fact that there was a movie about him that he was going to go to the theater. Like he couldn't escape it. Um, and, and the director, like just God bless him. He knew, knew without a shadow of a doubt that if he saw the Zodiac killer and looked him in the eye, that he would know who the killer was. So he was the one selling tickets that night. And looked every single person in the eye. And they didn't catch him. And so he was like, oh, well. They didn't. No. Gasp. (laughs) He ended up becoming a senator. Uh, So. I wish the. Oh. That joke's uh, been made a few times now.
1: I wish the I almost wish that they had captured the Zodiac killer so that way David Fincher's version of Zodiac would have had a totally different ending. Although to be fair, David Fincher's Zodiac would never have existed if the killer was caught.
0: I think that it would have been like a gritty telling of the making of the Zodiac killer. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I yeah. want to see David Fincher's like mockumentary of the making of Tommy well, Edson's, and the, the Zodiac Killer. The
1: fun thing about the Zodiac Killer is that I feel like it would actually make for an interesting pairing with Fincher's film because like it has some of the same scenes, but it kind of gives you an idea of like, okay, this is the perfunctory version. We're like, all right, let's just put some people like it would probably help you to appreciate more how meticulous David Fincher's version is and just how he gets the story and how the people who made the Zodiac Killer were really just slapping something together it you, is it is a plot device for real life yes essentially <laughs>
0: and after he didn't show up to the first screening uh he decided to show it again and this time like have a raffle where they were auctioning off some motorcycle because obviously the zodiac killer needs needed a motorcycle and and again like he uh, the director was the one selling the tickets and still didn't catch him but like hearing zach carlson tell the story of how this movie came into existence it was so endlessly fascinating Mm. that even if the movie had been five seconds of just are you the zodiac killer no okay bye like i still would have loved it because (laughs) of the backstory behind it which is why like now in the reviews that we do we talk about that prior knowledge right because it
1: matters it does um except in this case it doesn't Because oh, it's so a terrible does. movie. You did not see it, it is, in a theater full of people. Is, no, okay. And see, this is... I think You again, missed out is, on the experience. This is where Chat Film Fest shows its value. Because I was watching this movie, and I'm like, holy crap, this is boring. There are a few gems. There are a few moments in the movie that are absolute gems. Like, it's fascinating how, like, this movie starts off... Okay, first of all, the first 15 minutes is just chock full of crazy misogynistic shit. Like... Oh my God, it is so bad. It's,
0: but it is so bad that Every, I feel like it's intentional to point out how terrible men are. I don't
1: know, man. I don't. I can't decide if it's like, if they're just doing this to make you hate these characters or if this is really how these people feel about women, who the writers feel about women, or if, it, I don't know, it is so, so much. Or, or if it's like the kind
0: of person... That, like, they heard a misogynistic joke or a racist joke. Like, oh, man, that's so terrible. You, l- let me tell you about it because it's funny, but it's terrible, but it's kind of funny. You know, like, it feels like I that almost. It's like the type of person that tells a bad joke. like, I can't believe that someone would tell this joke.
1: <laughs> I'm not laughing at it. It's one of those things where, like, every single, even, like, well, there aren't really any... Re- men in this movie with any redeemable qualities but every single man in this movie calls a woman either a broad or a bitch at some point. It's like holy crap guys, like is there do men not talk about anything else? <clears throat> All right. So, yes, but, it is it is terrible. However, the opening
0: scene, like this is the introduction to the movie is the Zodiac killer wearing a trench coat and I think a wig and a groucho marks fake glasses with, with nose. nose oh god it's hilarious. goes and stabs a woman that is your introduction to the movie is someone wearing a fake nose to kill someone
1: well and the funny thing about it is like the movie starts off you follow this one character who's just a total piece of shit like total asshole and then he kind of they think he's the killer and he <laughs> gets killed and then they actually at that point they actually focus on the real killer so they actually show you the killer and first of all when you fir- when you first see <laughs> him his bunny has died. You don't know why his bunny has died, but he just immediately assumes that someone has murdered his rabbit and he's no, like No, no, I just think that he's sad cuz his buddy's dead. What? I don't think that he's he's he thought just that like, someone killed him. He's just like no. Oh my god, you're dead. Why are evil people allowed to live? And then he's like crying as he's burying it. And it's like, what is this movie? And then later on in the movie, you realize that he's killing people. And he's got this weird, because there's this weird philosophy of like Atlantis rising again. And he like needs his part slaves the in the afterlife. Symbol. And that he's got like, it's like almost Manson like where he's got, he, he thinks he has followers or something, but not really. You don't really see them. It's so so weird. His acting
0: is like William Shatner doing an impression of Charlton Heston. (laughs) Yes, it really is. Why are evil men allowed to live? So great. I love it so much.
1: Well, and the thing is, like, the movie totally runs out of the story it's trying to tell about halfway through. So the last, like, 30 minutes of the movie is just him, like, walking down the street and murdering people at random. Like, What's funny is at the beginning of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, they basically talk about like, yeah, the Zodiac Killer. He's so meticulous. Like he never leaves fingerprints anywhere. He never does this. Blah blah blah. Like he's perfect. We'll never catch him. And then in the movie, he's just, oh, there's a woman on the side of the road here who needs help with her car. I know. I'm just going to randomly decide to slam the the. Uh, um, I can't think of the word. The hood. The hood. Yes, I kept wanting to say trunk. I knew that wasn't right. The, the hood. Front, the on, front trunk. On her Yeah, the front trunk. <laughs> On her head. He's not wearing gloves or anything. He's literally leaving his fingerprints at the scene of the crime. Yeah, but then like he pushes the car over the edge. And I know, but I mean it's just at, so at one point in describing
0: the uh just the terrible human being who you're kind of led to believe might be the Zodiac Killer. Uh, he's picked up by the cops for doing just random bad things. And the cops are describing, like, oh, you know, these are all the things that you've done over the last week. At one point, the cops talk about how he urinated in someone's drink and said, the fountain of youth lives again. (laughs) Like, it's so, so bonkers. And also, um, that guy might or might not be Donald Trump. Uh, It's just... He has a terrible wig and horrible women and Yep. It's so bad. It is so over the top bad.
1: Here's the thing about it. That I genuinely love it. Here's the thing about it. The movie that I'm that we are describing to you sounds amazing. In my humble opinion, it is not amazing because for the most part it is so boring. You weren't watching it with people. There is nothing that happens in this movie for like those, those are like all the scenes we mentioned are basically it. Like there's, there are a few other scenes that happen. Okay. The last kill of this movie is absolutely amazing. I have to just say that it is. Oh, is so amazing. You, however, you didn't watch it with a crowd of people. Right. No. And that's the thing like that. Again, that's why the chat film fest is valuable because with a, theater full of people, this movie would have been absolutely delightful and it would have just been such a fun shared experience watching it on my own. Like I kind of just tuned out for a lot of it because there's so much procedural kind of stuff and, you know, plot setting up and the people who made it just clearly don't understand film structure or even care. Like, again, they just, it seems like they just slapped together scenes and edited them together in a way that resembled some sort of something. Now, just to I, get it to a feature length runtime.
0: I do love this. And, and you pointed this out. There's one scene in the movie where a bartender is oh, yeah. basically gonna- saying the exact same thing that the director said of I'd be able to find him if I just looked him in the eyes. And he's saying this to the Zodiac Killer. Who is drawing the Zodiac symbol yes. in a
1: giant pile of salt? Oh, God, it's late. Well, and that, it's funny because the <laughs> film was directed, like, the two writers. I can't remember their names. I'm not even going to look it up because whatever. <laughs> um, they're, the people who wrote it are, is not the same person as the The director did not write the movie. Okay, that's where I was going with this. There you go. I almost feel like the writers are making fun of the director. Because he really thinks that he can catch the Zodiac killer. And that's why they threw that line but in there. But why
0: would they agree to be a part of it? You
1: know? well, like... and, and the funniest thing to me, too, about this movie is that Paul Avery, um, who uh, is the reporter who covered this extensively. He was played by Robert Downey Jr. in uh, the Zodiac movie that David Fincher directed. Yeah. Um, he was a consultant on this movie and was like really heavily involved in the production. And like, I he just he might have been the Zodiac killer. That's, that's a very interesting thought. I don't believe that, but that's very interesting. But I no, like, think so. Like, was, how do
0: you think that he knew so much? And hilarious. he was, he was sending people down the wrong trail, down the wrong rabbit trail. Be
1: hilarious. Um, but it's, it's just funny to me that, that, he also was involved in the making of this film. And was, they were like, so convinced that this was something that would really catch this guy and yeah i don't know it's a fascinating movie it again it, but it's not a good movie like i it's it's I'd not, not good but it movie. i recommend it with a room with, full of people yes that's and that's the way to watch it all right
0: and again i know that i've mentioned this on the podcast a few times but like i do bad movie nights with friends i try to do one about once a month it was inspired because of bleeding skull and agfa and, like, I try to even mirror what they do where I show, uh, when I show the movie, like, I try to give a little bit of a backstory. Like, mm-hmm. this is why I picked the movie for this showing. This is why this movie, on the surface, seems terrible, but, like, is genuine and lovable, and, like, why this movie is actually worth your time. Um, so, yeah, they, uh, whether they realize it or want to t- t- accept it or not, uh, they, they had, the guys involved in Bleeding Skull and for like, have, this reach of expanding bad movies into the ether <laughs> via their fans. So I, I, I don't know, like I, I love it and I love the movies. And anytime that I look at the schedule for, uh, for chat film fest, and I see either Agfa or bleeding skull that always jumps to the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's always such a struggle of what is that movie playing against and if i have to choose the other movie not a bleeding skull movie there's always that little bit of me that's just like oh i am so not going to have a chance to see this one again oh yeah right man. well that's
1: true and that i'd like i totally get that i do think that that's definitely it's it's worth watching under those circumstances otherwise eh if you're doing it for a podcast sure <laughs>
0: but the, the one from 2018 was a zombie ninja so
1: that sounds pretty enjoyable.
0: And there's so much fun. We'll get there. All right. So moving on. Uh, next up, we have David Lynch, The Art Life.
1: Oh, is this my turn? Is this where yes, I speak? Yes, this, okay. this is where you say words. Okay, um, <laughs> so with David Lynch, The Art Life, I've got to admit that I wasn't like super excited to watch this one, um, mostly because I... David Lynch is one of those people that I really want to get into his work. I've only seen two of his movies, um, and when I watched them, I didn't really get it, I sure. guess. I've seen Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart, and both with both of those movies, I'm <laughs> like, like, that's such a, I guess that's kind of a weird, those are kind of weird movies of his to see if you've only seen two of them. Yeah, Wild at Heart's, uh, that's a it's an interesting it's, one. It's a bizarre movie um but at the time that i watched it's been a long time since i've seen them too at the time i watched them i was just like i i just i don't get it like it was just a little too off the wall for me i feel like i probably enjoyed a lot more now um but anyway he's one of those people that like i hear people just praise him so much and talk about mulholland drive and twin peaks and all this stuff and i want to get into his stuff i just i haven't you know, gone down that rabbit hole yet for whatever reason. Um, so g- going to the movie, I knew it wasn't really about his movies, but I didn't know enough about him, so I was just kind of like, I don't know if this is for me. Um, but I mean, it was totally for me. I think I actually might even be the best kind of audience for this movie. Sure. Um, I mean, if you know Lynch and you're familiar with his work, I'm sure it's probably even more um, interesting because he definitely talks about certain things that, um, that obviously were an inspiration for his movies. Um see I feel like if you're a huge fan of Lynch and
0: his movies, you might have been a little pissed by it.
1: Well, and that that was the other thing I was going to say is it's like his movies first of all are deliberately very kind of esoteric and you know, they don't give you any kind of answers and you know, they're very much about a lot of things that he experienced growing up. Um and then like this movie doesn't really of course he's not going to give any answers, you know, he's very He's not very forthcoming at all. Like he doesn't do commentaries, like yeah. he it, he will not confirm fan theories or anything like that. He's like the work speaks for itself. And this documentary very much is just kind of like, yeah, it speaks for itself. Like I'm going to tell you a little bit about my childhood, but I think that what you get out of his films is probably more rewarding than what you get out of the documentary. Mm-hmm. I guess in a way, like you can you get the same information but in a in a more entertaining and interesting way probably
0: you get it in a different way in a different way um, yeah so in, in regards to like
1: things. how he doesn't say anything i forget
0: which film it was but i saw just a little clip online where he's talking about a movie he makes some comment about it and the interviewer is like oh that's really interesting like tell me more about that and his response is just no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love that so much <laughs> crazy. um yeah I've, I've not seen a lot of lynch's stuff either um I, I love twin peaks, but I've not seen a whole lot of his movies mm. and I didn't realize going into the documentary that it was a documentary about before his movies. Like mm. it is about his art life, like his life of art leading up to the first film. um. And, and I really, really love the fact that it's not about his movies. It's about his art because I do feel like that tells you so much more about who he is. Mm. And, while I, I, also telling you nothing at all. Sure. It's, it's
1: fascinating. Like, he'll start to tell a story about, like, there's one point where he starts to tell the story about his neighbor, and then he, he just stops, and he's like, no, I can't. I can't tell that story. Yeah. and then And then he'll just kind of tell these random anecdotes, and, like, some of them are so bizarre that you don't even know if they're really even real or not. Yeah. Um and so I mean I feel like this documentary is very probably very similar to the experience you get from watching his films in which, a way which is why I feel like it
0: gives like it tells you so much more and informs the mm-hmm. movies um especially because it shows more of that artistic side. Mm. And I think that too many people when they watch Lynch films like they're looking for an answer or like you know like you said I don't get it. I don't know if there's always something to get with his movies. Mm -hmm. Like I really do feel like most of the stuff that he creates, it is more about just that visual experience. Yeah, His stuff
1: is very kind of evocative, I guess. Like he wants you to feel something and then try to take those feelings and figure out something about yourself, I guess in a way. Um, Yeah. I mean,
0: it's, it, it would, it would be kind of like someone trying to explain a Pollock painting. Like, yeah, I'm I'm sure that Jackson Pollock knew exactly what he was doing or was just a lunatic, but like, there's not a thing that you're trying to find with Pollock paintings. It's just like, oh, that's, huh. I think that I feel, I don't, man, I don't, I don't even know. So, you know, it's not like trying to um, dissect a Van Gogh painting where there's Mm. obviously something there, but it's, you know, distorted or, uh, or obscured with just uh, the lens through which he views the world. Mm. Pollock is just like, I don't know, here. And I feel like that's more of what you get with understanding David Lynch's art is just. His movies are a piece of art. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily a narrative with a beginning, middle, and end.
1: Right. And the interesting thing, too, like, first of all, his art is just incredible. Like, he's so... Yeah, I love his stuff. It's fantastic and disturbing and creepy and beautiful. And what's interesting about it is, like, I don't... It feels very, like... I can't think of the word, like almost impulsive. Like Mm -hmm. he just, it doesn't feel like he really puts a lot of thought into it beforehand. He just like gathers materials and then just throws whatever he is feeling at the canvas or whatever it is that he's working on at that moment. Like it just feels very immediate and sincere. And it doesn't feel pretentious in a way that I feel like a lot of art does. Like it, again, he doesn't really... Like, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who'd get mad if you didn't get it. It's like, it. there isn't anything to get. It's just you.
0: Although he is the kind of person who'd get mad if you try to watch a movie on your
1: phone. I know. I, I almost mentioned this because in that, <laughs> in the Survival of the Film Freaks, they show that clip of him that's like, watching a movie on your phone. It's so funny. <laughs> Which I also get. And and the interesting thing, too, about him is that he didn't grow up watching movies. Like, yeah. he, he got into film because of his art, not because he loved film. Exactly, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, you think of filmmakers as like, yeah, I grew up and I love 2001 or The Godfather or Apocalypse Now or like all these great movies that inspired me to be a filmmaker. And it was like, yeah, I just, he was just like, yeah, I just um, wanted to do some kind of animation. He wanted art. to create a
0: moving painting.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's, he thought of moving painting and then yeah. it just naturally went into film from there. And so that's pretty fascinating to me.
0: Well, and like even the story that he gave when he was a kid of his mother wouldn't give him coloring books because she didn't want him coloring inside the lines. She wanted him to just create.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because I I was going to say the same thing too because this like really hit me because I worry about this with my kids. Like they're very artistically inclined. Like Ian loves to tell stories and Owen loves to draw pictures. But right now, anytime Ian tells a story, it's always like, based on the legend of Zelda or anytime Owen draws pictures, it's like he draws pictures of characters from like five nights at Freddy's or <laughs> like just characters Good that kid. he sees. He almost never like, they rarely ever create something completely original and that kind of worries me. I mean, maybe not worries me, well, but, but they're also like <clears> really young and the fact that they're creating
0: anything is them creating something original.
1: Right. And then, and I get that. I just, I wonder like, I think about this sometimes like I fear that I stifle their creativity by letting them watch movies and other things like that. I mean, I, um, when we watch movies and stuff, like I use that kind of as a jumping off point to talk about things. It, it's not just like, oh, let's watch a movie. That was fun. See ya. Yeah. Like we usually talk about it and discuss certain things about it. And, But I don't know. Like there is something there, I think. to There's something to that, I think, where if you – give kids like a certain kind of structure like they view art through this specific lens like even with myself like I have an urge to write things and create things sometimes but Nine times out of ten, it's always like, "Oh, I could do this because that would be just like in this movie or like in this story that I read." Or, right? Like, I feel well, like I'm just I- doing imitation rather than actual, actually, like expressing something that I'm feeling. So, two things, um, three things. First off,
0: you're aware of the fact that, like, I'd just be copying something. I'm not actually expressing anything. Thing number two, um, you know, there's the old saying: "There's nothing new under the sun." I mean, mm-hmm. like, that's why you have uh, Joseph Campbell's. Um, hero of, of a Thousand Faces, like every single hero's journey, it's the exact same thing. Like right. they all follow every single um, epic tale. Like you know exactly what's going to happen because it's happened before. But thing number three is everyone is influenced by something. So like David Lynch didn't really go into a whole lot of what actually influenced him, but there had to have been something. You know, maybe it was reading books. Maybe it was nursery rhymes. Like there had to have been some experiences that guided him towards what he was doing. Mm. And so like, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to have a kid color inside the lines because that's some of those experiences that then they start realizing, Hey, wait a second, what happens if I color outside the lines, you know, like it gives them that structure to break through. Mm. Um, Or, you know, like, like you said, he, uh, David Lynch never really watched any movies. Yeah, and then there are other people who never watch movies who think that they can make great movies, but they suck. Yeah, And so like I don't think that it's necessarily that specific structure as it is David Lynch is just such a unique individual mm-hmm. that whatever he did was going to be weird as hell.
1: That's, I mean, that's probably true, but and, I don't know. It's still kind of fascinating. I think that that probably explains a lot about like why his films are so unique, why there's yeah. nothing else like them, because he understands the cinematic language, but he just has no interest in conforming to the rules that everybody else conforms to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think this is a fantastic documentary. It's also beautifully shot. Like, I love how he's narrating the almost, uh, he's narrating everything. Like yeah, you never I don't hear, think
0: there's anyone else that you hear except yeah, for him.
1: You never hear anything else. It's just Lynch. And the interesting thing is that for almost the entire movie, you never actually see him speaking. Like, you yeah. hear him speaking, and then when you see pictures of it, or, like, the shots of him, he's working on something or he's just sitting there thinking or he's doodling, but you don't see what he's doodling and, or you see him playing with his daughter. Um, like it's so, I don't know. It's really cool. And it feels very kind of dreamlike in a way. And it's mesmerizing.
0: Well, and I love the fact that it's showing him still creating art.
1: You know, yeah. it's not like he used
0: to be an artist and now, Oh, I'm a big old filmmaker. Like he still has his studio and he still creates things. And, I feel like obviously his life experiences have shaped the art that he creates, Mm. but at the same time, I also feel like he's not trying to create the art that people expect out of David Lynch. I feel like he's just creating what exists in his head and
1: uh yeah it's kind of beautiful it really is and i mean again if i think whether or not you're a fan of his movies like if you're if you've never really seen one of his movies or if you've only seen a few and you're trying to break in like i am like i think that this is actually a really good way like a good intro in a way like it makes me want to watch more of his movies because i find him absolutely fascinating and then you know of course if you love david I almost said David Fincher because we are talking about him <laughs> and earlier. Um, if you love David Lynch, then, you know, I think that this is just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I've got to watch this. I need to know more about him. You might be disappointed, but I think if you love David Lynch, then you probably are used to not getting answers. And right. that's not really what you expect. Um, so, yeah, um, it's it's a fantastic documentary.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's part of why I included it is because, um, well, one, it's one of the only documentaries that was available streaming uh, without having to rant. And I, I love the fact that even though Chat Film Fest, you know, was named one of the 30 best genre film festivals, 100 best genre film festivals. I think it was 30. I feel like it was 30. That was the number that my brain went to first. Um, you know, even though it is definitely a genre film fest and like if you do not love horror and weird movies, I don't want to say that you won't have anything to enjoy, but it is very, um, very... Honed in on just you like weird and obscure and just Mm. weird horror movies. Awesome. Come to the chat film fest. It is amazing. Definitely for you. But that's not the only things that are there. You know, there are family friendly movies. um, There are comedies. There are the documentaries. And so I wanted to include a documentary. But I also wanted to include uh, the art life because of how it pairs with Dave Made a Maze. So, like, you start the the weekend with the frustrated artist who builds a maze out of cardboard. Sorry, a labyrinth out of cardboard. (laughs) And then about halfway through, you have David Lynch who's just creating for the sake of creating. And I I don't know. Like, I, I feel like those two... Paired so well with just that creative frustration.
1: Yeah, and they do, and I actually watched them back to back too. So, oh, wow. um, like that. Yeah, I really. Um, and they really do like they they pair together beautifully. It makes for a pretty interesting double feature where the movies could not be more dissimilar in tone and style. I mean, um, but just the subject matter uh, is very similar and like focusing on art from different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. Speaking of different perspectives, let's
0: let's go ahead and go on to Davion, which is just oh god, just a punch to the gut of my emotions. Davion's a great movie;
1: it's so good. Um, I'm I'm torn between this one and the next movie, but as like my favorite of the 2017 Chat Film Fest offerings.
0: So the next film is Devil's Candy. Devil's Candy, I feel like, is more rewatchable. Yeah. So I feel like that gives it a slight edge. Davion is... Oh God. So uh, when we were doing our Kung Fu Brewery and we also had our Black History Month picks, Davion was... Uh, I want to say that it was my last pick. It was your last one, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is just such a beautifully heartbreaking coming-of-age story about a kid whose older brother got shot and so he uh davion the kid ends up joining a gang and like trying to find a pseudo father figure not really a father figure but just like trying to find some something to guide him to to just be there for him because he he's lost without his brother and not in a he's not able to have any sort of autonomous thought without him but just you know it's it's his older brother and now he's dead and
1: it sucks. Well, it's just sad. Like he's he's this he's thirteen years old, which I don't think I realized until like toward the end of the movie, and I was just like, "Holy shit, this kid's only 13. Yeah. Um, and he's basically like just so emotionally distraught over losing his brother that he's completely shut down. And this, I think, the saddest thing about the movie is that he actually has. People in his life who want to support him and want yeah. to be there for him and want to comfort him, but he just can't accept that. Yeah, um, yeah. And like
0: there's that yeah. one scene that it, it's such a simple scene, but it's so heartbreaking. Which is that's that's the word of the day for Davion. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> um, it, Davion's sister's boyfriend, yeah. Bo, whatever he is. Um, but Davion's sister's boyfriend and Davion are playing Madden, I think, and um, at one point. At one point, Davion says something about his brother,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the the boyfriend like just responds in like an encouraging way, and like trying to be like, "Hey, look, like I know that I'm never gonna be your brother, but." if you ever need someone to talk to, like I'm here, Davion gets super pissed. He's like, yeah, damn right. You're never going to be my brother. Like he's not in a, you're never going to marry into the family,
1: but you can never replace my brother. Well, he says, I think he says something like, I could be like your brother or like, be like your big brother or something. And as soon as he says it, like you can, like, he's just like, oh shit, what did I do? And then Davion immediately shuts down and just like storms out. Yeah.
0: And like, it, it just feels like such an authentic reaction that man well, I, I don't know like that's the entire movie is and we even talked about this as we were <laughs> pre-conversing about the movies um to where it feels
1: like watching a documentary mm-hmm. no it really does like and that's the thing that i think it the movie does the does best i guess is that like it kind of juxtaposes um Davion joining the scan is the bloods I and mean, yeah. he's joining the bloods um and like through his initiation how like people are constantly giving him shit about it but like they do it in a way that makes him feel welcome at the same time like it's just like that's just part of it like you belong here this is how we treat our own and that gives him the sense of belonging but like he's also do like they're pushing him to do these awful things and then um you know, they juxtapose that with him hanging out with his friend who suffered from a gunshot wound. And, you know, they're both like 13 year old kids and they just go out and play in like a rock quarry and have fun. And it feels like a documentary at times. And the way that they just play those scenes off of each other is like so heartbreaking and beautiful. And like, it's one of those movies that I think perfectly exemplifies like Roger Ebert's um, definition of, of film, which is like, it's a like a perfect machine for generating empathy. Yeah. Um, and this movie, like you completely understand why kids are enticed to join these gangs and why they get this sense of belonging and why these people who are in these gangs are going out and robbing people. And, you know, they're not doing it because, you know, they want to be badasses necessarily. Although there is some kind of like toxic masculinity element in there that they kind of get at, but it's just, they're just trying to get by. And this is the only thing they know how to do. And it's the only thing that, they're good at and they can't find these jobs because people, you know, profile them and they don't want those kind of people working there. And I don't know, man, it's heartbreaking. And they even make like, there are no good guys and bad guys in this movie. It's just people struggling to get by and yeah, making a connection. They, with them they're just the all
0: people. Um, yeah. And I think that part of what adds to that sort of documentary style is um, for one, the music is exceedingly minimalistic. Um, and,
1: I forget if the director is the one who did the music or not. Um, He's He does music. He's a composer for other films. Like he even worked on the, uh, he was a consultant for the new Halloween movie. Yeah. I just,
0: I can't remember if he was actively the one doing the music for this one, but Amanabasi uh, was the director. Um, but yeah, the music, it's just so like minimalistic and atmospheric that at times you do you almost don't realize that there's any music playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it is like, it's, I don't know, somehow it just tugs on those heartstrings because it's, well, it's using musical cues to tell you how to feel um, but not in like a jump scare sort of way. In just a I, I don't know it's it, it's hard to explain but the music being so minimalistic, you know there's not like this booming soundtrack to tell you exactly how to feel. There's just this undercurrent of, of emotion. Uh, and the other thing that helps is it wasn't shot in a widescreen format. Like, it was yeah, shot in it's, the... it's 4x3. 4x3, yeah. It's like yeah. The,
1: the old Academy ratio.
0: Yeah, and so, like, it it gives you the feel of, like, watching a home video. Like, it, you don't feel like you're watching some grand epic. It's not something that you would watch on an IMAX screen to get the most out of IMAX. Like, it's just... it's just there um and i i mentioned this when we talked about it during the uh kung fu brewery episode but my friend dustin lane was the cinematographer um which i didn't realize beforehand like i um i'm friends with his sister and when i saw them there i was like oh hey what are you doing it's like oh yeah he he did this movie i was like what all (laughs) right that's cool and then i watched it like oh my god this movie is amazing um But yeah, it's shot in such a way where it is engrossing you in the stories of the characters and not their surroundings. So i mean, like, that's part of why you do that four by three ratio is to cut off all the stuff on the um, on the edges so that you're really focusing in Mm -hmm. on just those immediate characters on screen. Um, And so just like some of those cinematic techniques are part of what draw you in. But here is the weird thing about Davion, and I can't remember if we mentioned this earlier or not. But um, you don't actually see bad stuff happen.
1: Like, no, you never really, never really do.
0: Yeah, like you see him getting uh, beat into the gang, and you see them, you see them go to a uh, gas station to rob it, but like the robbing happens outside of what you can see. Hmm. So, like, you don't actually see that much that much bad stuff happen, but somehow. Like leaving this movie, it feels like you have just been through the ringer of what you've seen without having seen it. And I think that is just such a huge testament to how effective this movie is mm. to where you, like, you remember seeing things that you didn't see because of how strongly you felt them.
1: Yeah. Like when you were telling me a little bit about the movie before I watched it, there were like certain things that I expected based on what you were d- describing to me that just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and th- I thought that was really interesting. I also think like too, I went in just like, I put, th- I saved this one for just about the last movie that I watched because I was like, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this and I don't know if I'm ready and then I watched it and I was like, you know, it is. it is really heartbreaking. It really is a very emotional experience but I feel like it kind of, I don't know if it has a happy ending but it has a hopeful ending.
0: It has a yeah i don't i don't know either like maybe it's just because i'm a dad now and i didn't think about this earlier but one of the last scenes where it's davion's sister and her kid just walking through the woods Mm -hmm. and like the kids like walking on that log for some reason like i i started to tear up a little bit at that scene yeah there was no dialogue at that point it was after um Davion's sister's boyfriend and Davion like had their uh, their interaction, confrontation almost, and and yeah, like it gives it this sort of realistic, pseudo hopeful, but also like, man, is everything gonna be okay? Like, but but like not because things weren't okay up to this point. Yeah, I don't know what's changed, and so like just seeing her walk through the woods with her kid, it. Something about that just it, it kind of broke me a little,
1: yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally get it, and it may just be. I usually end up reading the happiest ending I can for movies, whether or not they're happy or not. That's just how I am. I always want things to work out for the best, um, most of the time, um, but yeah, I mean, just for this movie, it does feel like it tries to give you a little bit of hope, and it, I mean, it. Makes you think that everything will be okay, but I mean, you kind of know in your gut, like, it might not be, like, you never really know. Yeah. Well, because nothing changes.
0: Yeah, nothing like really. I mean,
1: there, well, there's, there's one thing that kind of changes, I think, but it's not like an, it's not a, it's not a physical change. It just feels like a kind of emotional change in a way but then again you don't really know how that person is going to act on that emotional change yeah or like um, what or, um
0: what consequences will happen with yeah. some of the other choices that he's made in his
1: life and yeah so it's um yeah. it's it's such a great movie though like i love it i don't know how often i would rewatch it but it is um definitely recommended yeah and it was one of the last films that i saw of the weekend it wasn't the very last
0: the very last film cuz we've we've been uh, talking about these in the order in which i saw them the very last film from twenty seventeen. God, it went out on such
1: just a badass high note. What a great way to go out. The devil's candy. Which I just have to say, I'm <laughs> oh not my God. I don't always watch the credits for movies. I'm I watch the credits for the I, I listened all the way through the credits of this movie because they play uh For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. So like <laughs> I, of course I had to listen to that. It's not a spoiler at all, but you know, so just wanted yeah. just had to put that out there um yeah man i love the devil's candy i'd actually seen this movie um before like a year ago or so um because i really like sean byrne as a director this is only his second movie but he directed this other movie called the loved ones Mm -hmm. um that's fantastic um one of the great like villain performances of the decade i think that is one of those movies that i think is just really underseen um but yeah the devil's candy is I don't know if it's quite as good as his debut movie, um, but it's such a solid movie. And it has great performances, and it's just beautifully made. Um, I think it's just wonderful. I really enjoy it a lot. Um, I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over again, aren't I? Well,
0: yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's I can't a- help,
1: like that's... just I don't even know like where, where to go with it. Like, It's just such a fun movie. I feel like um, this director is really kind of on the verge of breaking out into... like to be a big, big thing in horror.
0: Yeah. Well, and like the movie feels a lot bigger than it actually is. Like there's really only about five people in the, in the movie. Uh, You have Ethan Embry playing Jesse Hellman, which um, for anyone who grew up in the nineties, you'll remember Ethan Embry from movies such as Empire Records and Can't Hardly
1: Wait. And that thing you do. No, it's so weird. Like he, first of all, he gives a, fantastic performance
0: <laughs> that's not the f word that, that you wanted to say not the word i wanted to <laughs>
1: say but I'm, I'm giving you a break today um he, he's amazing in this movie yeah. like, he is really good he's almost if i if you didn't tell me that was ethan embry i probably would have spent at least half the movie looking at him like who is this guy like i know him from somewhere like he doesn't even sound the same i feel like once you realize that
0: it's him like you start hearing a little bit of it but yeah, yeah like it, it took me forever to until like someone finally pointed it out or maybe as I was going through and uh, like doing some of the research before the uh, the first time that I podcasted about it, I was like, holy crap, it's that dude? What? Yeah. It, it's the bass player from that thing you did? <laughs> no, no. I have to watch this movie again right now. Like, yeah, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. It really, Just, yeah it does not seem like him at all, which um, I think is great that he is such a versatile actor.
1: Yeah. He's like, it's something that like, I feel like I hadn't seen him in much, like very much at all up until, I mean, like you said, like I remember him from movies like empire records and stuff. And then I see him in this movie. I'm like, man, he's actually a really good actor. And he's like, it's a pretty fantastic physical transformation too. I mean, he's like ripped and he's got this like so good, such a grungy look to him that like, I don't know. It's amazing. But what I love about it is that he's like this metalhead, and he is like the most sensitive, sweetest guy in the world in this movie. Like it is so great. I love the way that they, they use metal music in this movie because like, Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, I was just going to say, I also love the fact that like he is obviously the Christ figure of this film. Oh yeah. It's Um, so,
1: it's, super obvious
0: but I love the fact that even though they stick with the traditional give the first name starting with the J his last name is Hellman yeah. Hellman Jesse Hellman <laughs> Christ Hellman like it's just it's so Jesse JC yeah JC Hellman it it is just so I, I, I don't even know like I, I love it so much I love the fact that they're using these traditional again like Christ like figures in terms of um, letting you know who the good guy is but with just that, that twist of metal on it, and God, it's so it's good. It's got like an it. edge
1: to it. Well, and, and typically in these movies, um, you know, when it comes to depictions of the devil and heavy metal, it's always like, that's like, that the, is one of the ways yeah. that the, the devil expresses himself. Metal is the devil's music. Exactly. And in this movie, metal is what they use to fight back against the devil. Yep. Like Pruitt Taylor Vince, he hears these voices in his head. So he plays his, he like shreds his guitar as loud as he can to stop the voices like so he can't hear it to drown it out yeah um and oh i can't say too much more without spoiling stuff but that's one of the things that i love so much about it is
0: like typically uh, typically Mm -hmm. if there is like that metal soundtrack like you hear the metal when something bad is happening Mm -hmm. but like you just said the metal in this is what it's the driving force of good yeah, and um, and I also really appreciate like how they handled just religion and talking about the devil in general. Because um, at one point there's a not really a televangelist, but just oh, like a man.
1: preacher on the TV. I love those scenes. Like I normally don't like it when movies do this, but it's handled so well. And, yeah, and such a it's funny at times, and it's like I don't know, it's really interesting.
0: Well, yeah, like the way that uh, the preacher on the TV is talking about it, like it doesn't feel like someone. Who thinks that religion is a joke or it doesn't feel like someone who is so jaded by the church that it's like, "Ah, I'm going to show how evil the preacher is like it feels genuine and sincere and like the kind of thing that I don't know. It it just felt like a good representation of religion in the world, just like the way that he's talking about the devil. And it's Mm -hmm. like it's not like this cartoonized thing. It's just evil yeah and like that's actually one of the like one of the tricks of the devil is by by like making it more of just a piece of pop culture it's almost like it's taking away the power of i i, I don't know like it it was just handled in such a way that i love the fact that it wasn't just a gimmick to be like oh church is bad devil's good because yeah. de 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 like a lot of movies will do that where you know like when you hear the preacher there's just something off and evil about him mm. like and, and it's such a minor part too like it's not even a main point of the movie it's just adds to it's uh, just kind that, of peppered in there to give you a little food for thought yeah well and, and it adds to some of that realism i feel like yeah. Um, yeah this this movie is not perfect
1: no i mean it, the i think the only real weakness of the movie is just that it's it's not a particularly original story i mean it's It's kind of like, I mean, it's a simple story. It's a familiar story that is just very well told. Yeah. And has characters that you root for. Um, And, like, I love uh, Kira Glasgow plays Zoe Hellman, um, Ethan Embry's, uh, Jesse's daughter. Yeah. Um, And she's just, like, so badass. And she, like, she's just, like, one of those teenagers who speaks her mind to her parents, um, but she doesn't come across as bratty. Like every now and then, I mean, there's a little bit of that with like the guitar and stuff. But again, she's like, it
0: seems authentic. It it's, seems it's authentic,
1: real. yeah. And like, I don't know, I just really like connect with her character in a way. And if you like her
0: acting in <clears throat> this,
1: uh, you need to see the BBC
0: BBC show copper yeah um she she plays a little kid in that and first off it's just a solid show love that show um but yeah like as a kid actress she is amazing and that was i don't know a few years before uh, devil's candy yeah it, it Again, it's not a perfect movie, but it's just such a solid film. And I want to say that it's only like 75 minutes long. It is a
1: short movie. It's really short. Um, It's also about art. Like Jesse is an artist. So it's kind of connecting with almost all these other movies we've watched where he's an artist and he's doing freelance work for like a bank or something. And he keeps like having these visions and getting under these spells and painting these like pretty creepy, but also really beautiful and amazing paintings. Yeah. And oh my God, I think one of my favorite things about the movie is just like the montages of him painting. And there's this incredible sequence where they um, like intercut him painting with a murder that's yeah. happening. And like, it's like he's using red paint and then you get like splash. It's like this very impressionistic, like kind of back and forth between like seeing the murder and seeing him painting. And it's just so beautifully done. Um, it's really incredible. And, well,
0: and this is another film where you don't actually see that much. Like, yeah. there are only. Okay, not counting like the initial one. Actually, no, let's count that. There's only three people that you actually see die on screen. At the very, very beginning, and two people right at the end. Everything else that you think that you remember seeing, it cuts away right before it happens. So... um, I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. Like, there's... Which, I mean, it makes sense why you wouldn't show it, but it cuts so close to when it actually happens. And because of the use of the paintings and, uh, like, some of the stuff that you see through Jesse's uh, painting... It gives you the sense of, of what you've seen. Yeah, and it's
1: one of those movies that I think it uses its editing to disguise the fact that it's really kind of a low-budget movie. Like, it's it's so well put together. Um, and even when it uses special effects toward the end of the movie, it, it doesn't feel real exactly, but it's stylized in a way that fits... It does film. feel
0: very dreamlike. Yeah, like it
1: fits with within the context of the film in a way that I think just works beautifully. Like I I love the way that this movie ends. It has such a And again watching it this time I remember like when I got to the end of the movie this time, I was like, "Oh yeah, here we go, the end." Like it's such a, it's this big huge finale, and there's really like it it doesn't last very long and there's not a whole lot that happens, but it does such a good job of making it feel like the stakes are huge yeah well like yeah the
0: first time that i saw it and we can't spoil what actually happens but the first time that i saw it uh there was definitely some dread not fear not like oh no i'm scared but just that sense of like no 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 come on no which i think is worse (sighs) it's so much so much worse um. Yeah. It, again, it's not the best, but it is just a solid movie. It's like eating a really, really good hamburger. You know, like it's not groundbreaking. It's not Asian uh, Mexican fusion that's going to blow your mind. It's just like, no, it's a hamburger. But I mean, come on, how awesome is that hamburger? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a it's damn so awesome. Good, it's a damn
1: good burger. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and again, like again, I honestly think it's probably my favorite movie. I don't like again. I don't know if it's if you want to use this term because it, I I. <laughs> objectively is the term I'm thinking of. I don't feel like you can really objectively eva- evaluate film exactly. Um, but I mean, I guess if you're trying to objectively do it, then it might not be the best of the movies we watch, but it is the one that I will think about the most and probably come back to the most. Yeah. Well, like if we were doing our
0: four review on all of these movies,
1: uh, it, it does
0: hit some of the stuff on the technical side. Like mm-hmm. it definitely does technical very well, but the emotional, it kills it. Rewatchability it's just through the roof Yeah so like yeah it is Technically very very Good but just the Feeling of watching it and That that excitement of like man I, I kind of want to see this again like mm. soon That's part of why it's uh, it's So high up there um, Alright so that gets us through all of The movies from 2017 And yeah like there is a very Heavy art thread throughout all Of them and I think that I don't want to say that any year was better than any other year because they're all different in their own right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that uh, that theme of art through all the ones that we saw, like I, I do feel like that added something to just that overall uh, experience that year of like, all right, get off your tail and like go and create something mm-hmm. in one way or another. And I don't know, I, I just really really love that. And I'm looking forward to what the theme of this year is going to be. And I don't think that Chris like specifically themes things. I think that was just sort of a a happy accident. Yeah. But there is something that does kind of drive each year. So in 2016, it was um, with The Wraith and Bad Blood, uh, especially with those two, where it was more about who cares the intention of why it was made. If you enjoyed it, that's what's important. So it, it very heavily focused on the experience of cinema. Uh, In 2017, again, there was just a surprisingly heavy art theme throughout all of it. And 2018, we'll get to in the next episode, but we're not done yet.
1: Yes. Well, and also just to kind of jump off the art thing, there's also 24 by 36, which is about movie posters, um, which I sadly did not get a chance to watch beforehand. It wasn't one that we prioritized because we already had the other documentary in there. Um, But I really want to watch that. Um it, there were, it is a
0: solid documentary. Like, it also, is definitely worth seeing. Uh
1: there's also one other movie I did see but I haven't seen it. I didn't rewatch it and that was uh The Void which um I think is pretty solid. It's it's kind of one of those movies that it feels very similar to a lot of other movies you've seen like it's it it feels kind of derivative but it's copying the greats like it feels very much like a Carpenter S kind of uh pseudo siege film with some lovecraftian elements to it that i mean it's not the best it has incredible makeup effects um but i still definitely recommend it to people who are fans of genre film i need to see it
0: again because based <laughs> on i based on the preview i was expecting a different movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and i i liked what i saw but it's not what i expected and so i need to rewatch it with the appropriate filter um what I got, and this might be a spoiler, but I, I don't really feel like... Uh, maybe it is a spoiler. Who cares? I got more of an
1: Event Horizon experience. Yeah, in terms no, that's of actually like, a really, really good analog, I think. I mean, that's very similar.
0: Yeah, especially based off of like what I remember about Event Horizon is not what I actually see each time I watch it. Like I remember it being so much grander in scale and it's not it is like about just a few people in a trapped situation with the underlying lovecraftian thing and then stuff just hits the fan at the end and that's kind of what you get with the void like there's definitely some elder god stuff going on you just don't get much of it throughout and And I, I think that's fine. Like Event Horizon is an amazing movie, and so I think that it's fine to have that comparison of uh,
1: of what the void feels like. It's just not what I expected. Well, I think it's kind of one of those movies too that is it's not. It's a movie that feels very much like a showcase for creature effects. Yeah. The, the guys that directed it are actually, like, that's kind of their background is as art directors. Like, they ended up, they worked on, like, Suicide Squad. Well, at least one of them did. Suicide Squad, uh, The Shape of Water, It. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just, like, these great movies with fantastic effects. So, it feels almost like it exists more as a demo reel for that kind of stuff. And, I mean, if that's what you're into, then you absolutely need to see this movie. Because it's, like, the, the creature work and everything is... Really incredible for the budget that they had. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's, it's, I think it's pretty effective. It's not the kind of movie where you really, I would probably compare it, the closest comparison, I think, is maybe like The Thing kind of or. Yeah, I mean, kind of the thing, you know, way. I, That's Just what in terms of like what
0: the creatures is. feel like. Yeah, the it is good. I did enjoy it. Again, my expectations got in the way, which is why I need to rewatch it, because I feel like it is so much better than what I thought uh, thought of it at the time. And that, that sounds like I hated it. No, I did really enjoy it. Um, it feels a little bit like the middle of a movie, you know, like it feels like you either need more stuff at the beginning to give you a reason to care more about what's going on or more of an explanation at the end to, uh, to sort of bring it all back around. But mm-hmm. it, and again, it's, it's great. It is a great middle of the movie. I just, I, I don't know there was something about it. And again, maybe it was just because of my expectations, maybe if I rewatch it, I'd be like, Oh no, I was wrong. Like this is just solid throughout. Yeah. Maybe a little lacking in these couple of areas, but I don't know. That's just what I remember cuz I d- I also didn't have a chance to rewatch it um before yeah. before this episode. Um and it it is streaming somewhere. It's Netflix on, I'm maybe. Pretty sure it's on
1: Netflix. Yeah. That's where I watched it originally.
0: Uh so the the other thing that I wanted to highlight from 2017 and then we'll talk a little bit about 2019. The Monster Squad played with um Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert in attendance. Never heard of it. You, sir, are the (laughs) worst. Go on. (laughs) So they played the Monster Squad, which is just, it is one of my all-time favorite movies. I absolutely love it. And it's the kind of movie that you wouldn't be surprised to see on the big screen, you know, like it definitely feels like something that would be a fathom event or like any sort of uh small indie ish um, movie theater or draft house. Like I feel like you're going to have plenty of opportunities to see the monster squad on the big screen, especially with uh, the documentary Wolfman's gotten arts, which we'll talk about next episode <laughs> or next week rather. Um, like I, I feel like you're probably going to have opportunities to see it again on the big screen. However, two of the main stars are not always going to be there and like they're, they're super nice. And like, they were talking to anyone that wanted to talk to them, not in like a come talk to us, but just like, Oh man, I love the monster quad. And like, they were genuinely excited to talk to people who love the movie that they made when they were kids. Mm -hmm. And just that experience of seeing something that, uh, you know, shaped some of my cinematic experiences and, uh, and tastes, it was just great to see it uh, on the big screen. Um, plus, they gave Chris Dorch a, a spike, like a vampire stake.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's like his. Uh, that was like his profile picture on Facebook for a long time. I think. Was yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 there's not really much that we need to say about Monster Squad, especially since we've already done an episode talking about it. Uh, when we were talking about 60 Days of Halloween, if you've listened to this podcast, you know how much we love this movie. It was just awesome to actually see it uh, at the Film Fest.
1: Oh, I bet. Yeah, I'm I'm sad that I missed that, uh, but it seems like it would have been a great time.
0: Yeah. All right, so 2019. Uh, they've not come out with any major announcements since last week. They have been uh, sort of... Um, I, the word that I was going to say was not the right word. So they've slowly been... <laughs> <laughs> They've slowly been releasing um, the trailers of the specific movies that they have already listed in wave one. So even though there's not been like a major announcement, there have been um, just that steady stream of here's more information about what you're going to see. And um, yeah, I I only get more and more excited for this year with each new uh, post or each new announcement. But the thing that I want us to talk about at least for a few minutes before we uh, wrap up for this episode is is Mallory O'Mira's book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm over halfway through it. Um I'm really, really enjoying it a lot. Like it is so much more like it, it goes into so much depth of with like just generally what was going on in Hollywood kind of um between really between like the thirties and the fifties um and talks about like the Westmore makeup dynasty and like I don't know. It just gives me like so many little like inside Tidbits that I never would have known, um, but without reading the book, and then like just Millicent Patrick, her life is just absolutely fascinating. Like I cannot believe that more people don't know about her, and it's well, it's sad. I, I mean, I can believe it. I'm not, not exactly. I mean, I can believe it. Yeah. i just. I hate that you can believe it. You're just disheartened by exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Like because she was like her life feels like it was very impactful and like it feels like it really did impact hollywood in a big way a much bigger way than people give her credit for
0: yeah well and um like that's something that mallory talks about pretty early on in the book just in terms of like sharing some of her own experiences of uh working on the movie set and uh and being a producer where people they questioned why she was there like there yeah. was no que- they they questioned her ability to do anything related to cinema and so like some of the comments didn't have anything to do with her talent and like she relates that to this is why uh, Millicent has been sort of lost throughout history is. Horror, not all horror fans, but, you know, some people or just, you know, people in uh, in Hollywood, it's kind of like, oh, well, a woman couldn't really have done that. Could mm. she have? No, it, she was just doing what other people told her to do. And so, um, like, it gives you... Uh, I don't know. It gives you the sense of, yeah, that was terrible and it really sucks. And old Hollywood is, you know, misogynistic and crappy. And, and current Hollywood
1: is misogynistic and crappy and It is
0: still going on and it is still happening. Um, yeah. And like you said, like it gives you so much more information. Like I knew nothing about the book, um, other than just some of the posts that Chris had done, um, on the chat film fest page. But creature from the black lagoon is one of my all time favorite movies and so, like, I was like, I, I have to get this book. I know nothing about it. I just, I gotta have it. Love Creature, so I need more information about it. And I have been so pleasantly surprised. Again, not because of who wrote it, but just because I knew nothing about it. And so it's like going into a movie blind. Like, yeah. hey, you should watch this movie. All right, that movie was awesome. Were you surprised? Well, I mean, yeah, because I didn't know anything about it.
1: Yeah. Type of, type of surprise. Um, well, and what I like, I love that Mallory really includes a lot of um, snippets from her own life in it. And it's really fascinating and like at times kind of gave me chills like the ways that her life has intersected with Millicent's in ways that she didn't even realize. Yeah. Um, and like it's this woman who's kind of been her unofficial hero, well, I guess official hero. She literally has tattooed this woman on her body um, but you know it's just kind of been like a guiding light in a way for her and in the way that she leads her life and pursues her dreams and like it's, it's very fascinating to find out like ways that millicent had been um influencing her in ways that she had never even realized or before she even knew who millicent was yeah um and it's also like it's so it's it's discouraging in some ways too because like she's talking about how she you know when she decided to write this book she went and talked to different people about it and there were a lot of men who were just like why would you want, like, who cares? Why, yeah. wh- who, where's the audience for this book? Why would anybody care about what this woman has done? Right here. This is your audience. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's like the fact that these people are saying this to her is exactly why this book is necessary. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just so, it's, it still kind of blows my mind that there are people out there that are like that. And again, not surprising. Just it's not surprising. Satin-ing. But as a man who I like, I don't, I, I don't have these experiences (laughs) that women do. And, you know, I mean, I've learned so much just from being married and from talking to my wife about things, but like, it's one of those things where like, I feel like, you know, feminism has become something that has been embraced by so many more people that it still shocks me to hear that there are people out there who treat women this way or who question the validity of their work. Or I don't know, like I just can't wrap my head around that. And I don't experience it daily. So I feel like books like this are sadly kind of necessary, even for people like you and I, who we, we, we try to be aware of these issues, but sometimes we just, we don't even realize what it is that we're doing. Yeah. Or
0: even just because of how sometimes very
1: overt, but some things that are very
0: subtle that happen in women's lives that like, we just don't think about as dudes because that's not our experience. But then seeing someone talk about it, it's like, oh my God, men are the worst. Well,
1: and she even talks about like how like even women have internalized certain like misogynistic tendencies without even realizing it when she talks about like um you know how when she was younger she was into horror movies and metal and stuff and how like the thought of being feminine you know she was just like no that's not me like i can't do that and she was like disheartened by the fact that millicent was so feminine but also worked on these monster movies um and then she's like you know that was just one of those like misogynistic things that I internalize because obviously I can't be pretty if I like this type of music or these type of movies. Yeah. And, you know, just talking about her experience, realizing like, oh, I can be girly and, you know, still be covered in tattoos. And I don't know, like, it's just, it's interesting to see too how even women, struggle with these misogynistic tendencies yeah so three things thing number one
0: uh you've been listening to the audiobook i've been reading it mallory has been reading to me i'm jealous you are further (laughs) into the book than i am you get Um, the pictures though well i actually don't know how many pictures there are like i i said i think that there are but maybe i'm maybe it's just because the cover is just so beautiful i love the cover (laughs) art so much it's so good you know what because you said that i need to flip through and see if there are any pictures
1: Oh, okay. We're doing it right
0: now. Yes, I'm doing yep. it right now because I, like, I feel like there should... Okay, there's a few, not many, just a few that um, highlight some of the stuff that's being talked about. So it's not like a picture book, um, but there are uh, just a few th- sprinkled throughout. Um, but yeah, you're further along than I am. But thing number one, in the audiobook, does she read the... Um, the uh, uh not appendices the but footnotes?
1: yeah does she read the footnotes i don't think so i mean as far as i know i don't i was actually curious about that because there are certain things that i know there were certain times where i was like i wonder if there are footnotes to some of this stuff um so i don't if, i don't believe so but i mean if, if you know, there's never adds, they never draw any attention to the fact that there are sure. footnotes.
0: well if she adds the footnotes in as like an aside then awesome if there are no footnotes in the audiobook, you're missing out because the footnotes sometimes are really, really funny.
1: Well, some of the, I mean, the book itself is really funny at times. Um, I'm, I'm really curious now. I probably need to borrow the book from you at some point after I listen to it.
0: Yeah. It, well, it, it just feels like it adds so much. Typically I skip over the footnotes, but it was one of like the first three or four footnotes that, you know, I was just checking to see what was going on there. It was like, yeah, I'm going to have to read these every time I see a little number, I need to know what's happening down at the bottom of the page. Um, which relates directly to number two. One of the things that I'm loving so much about this book, and again, I'm only about a chapter or two into it, so I'm still pretty early on. Mm-hmm. I, I love how much Mallory is like taking her own life and talking about her, but also old Hollywood, but also Millicent. And so it doesn't just feel like reading a biography. It feels yeah. like a story. Not in like a made-up way, but in a I'm genuinely interested in all of the characters that she's talking about. And yeah, by she, characters, I mean real people.
1: Right. She really knows like when to break things up because that's that was the one thing like going into it where I was like, I don't know. Like I've read some biographies before and in a lot of cases, especially like in the earlier chapters where it's talking about like the family and stuff, they can get really dry. Um, I never felt that at all in this yeah. book, ever. Well, it feels... And like, their lives are just so fascinating, too. Like, even talking about her dad and, like, all the contract work that he did all over the world and then working for, uh, working on the Hearst Manor and everything, like, and then even going into, like, the Hearst family history to a certain degree, like, she really put a ton of research into this and... Like, the lives of pretty much everybody that Millicent had any kind of contact with, uh, they're just fascinating.
0: Yeah, it it feels like uh, Julia and Julia, but, you know, with monsters rather no, than it, a
1: cookbook. No, it really is almost exactly
0: like that. Yeah, which I, I, I love. I love. not <laughs> make that connection, am, but that's, that's a good point. I am loving reading through this. Uh, and I should probably note, just in terms of, like, why I'm not as far into it as I want. Um, for work, we also do a book club and I'm involved in all three of the books that we're uh, talking about this semester. So, yeah, for me, sometimes it's hard to keep things straight because at times I think that I'm reading a, a biopic about an autistic monster that uh, is in a dystopian future. Like just there there are times because I'm reading all the books at the same time <laughs> that I'm like, oh crap, which thing's going on here? Uh, I should probably like just focus on one. Thing number three, do you
1: find yourself as you're going through the book just saying, man, men are such bastards. Oh, I say that every day regardless <laughs> of whether I'm reading the book or not. I do whatever I can. Like anytime <laughs> I can bring up how, how terrible men are, I do it.
0: Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, it, it is genuinely a great book. I'm really, really enjoying it. And I, I can't wait to meet her at the film fest.
1: Oh no. I hope we can't get a chance to like, I'm so, there's so many things I'm looking forward to at the film fest. And I want to say that this is the thing I'm looking most forward to, but I, I just can't decide. Like, I'm just looking at every bit of it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, I can't wait. And
0: here's one of the things that's so amazing. Of all the things that like you're the most excited about, how many of them are actually movies? Um, not many. Yeah, which that's, again, <laughs> that's It, the, yeah, it is a film fest. The films are going to be amazing. Like I can't stress that enough. Like that is why you go to a film fest is to watch the movies, except for the fact that you
1: go for that cinematic experience and to be around those people to and hear people talk about movies and and to yeah, converse with them. Yeah, like that's I'm just as excited about that as I'm about watching the movies. And to be fair, they haven't announced all the movies yet, but. But they have like, announced that
0: Mallory O'Meara is going to be there talking about her book and talking about the Creature from the Black Lagoon. They have announced that Crispin, Crispin Hellion Glover is going to be there. <laughs> Hopefully he'll hold my face and take a picture a la the cover of Willard. Um, they have announced that Junk Food Cinema is going to be there mm-hmm. doing a live podcast and also doing a Dungeons and Dragons playthrough. Yep. They have announced that Shockwaves is going to be there also doing a live podcast. So like everything is terrible. Everything is terrible is doing a live show. Joe Bob Briggs is doing a live show. And so as excited as I am about the movies, and uh, I've mentioned this a few times, I watched so many movies that weekend that I legitimately feel like my eyes are going to bleed Mm -hmm. and I absolutely love it. But that's only like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the film fest. It is all of these other amazing things that when you were there, it's just like, this is, this is why I love cinema, not why I love movies. This is why I love cinema. Um, and yeah, can't say enough about Chat Film Fest. And it's uh, only a few short weeks away. I'm super excited. Can't wait. All right. One last thing before we say where people can find us. Um, last night, we recorded an interview with Bill Fokerson and Kyle Kukta. I know how to pronounce we'd, his we'd, name now. You
1: figured it out, and he I told did too me. because I was totally—I <laughs> thought I had it, but I was wrong. Yeah.
0: Especially since you were giving me such crap, like, no, dude, like the T comes after the CH. It's Kuchta. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was the thing that I did. We we recorded <laughs> it last night in like actual uh, chronology, but I don't know what order these episodes are coming out. Uh, cause I have to go through and, you know, like do the thing that I do to make them listenable. So, uh, you either, They're listenable? The,
1: no, I didn't realize that
0: either in the previous episode, you heard us talk to Bill and Kyle, uh, about their film survival of the film freaks, which is amazing. Or that's going to be the next episode coming out more than likely. It's going to be the next one that comes out. This one's probably going to, um, probably going to put this one out before the interview with them. Um, but I am not a hundred percent sure on that. That's just most likely what will happen. Mm. So operating under that assumption, the next episode is going to be our interview with, uh, Bill and Kyle from the uh, documentary survival of the film freaks.
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was so much fun. Like there's so much fun. They're so great. To. And like, I really hope that people will listen to the podcast and go out and buy their movie because, they deserve it and yes. it's absolutely worth watching and it's going to have so many great like extras and stuff. Uh, yeah, just please yeah. check this it's movie out.
0: Just under a month left on their Indiegogo, uh, campaign, and they only have about 30% left to go to mm-hmm. be fully funded. So even if even if you can't afford the top tier, because a lot of people can't, you know, they do have much lower tiers. Like even if you just uh, contribute like a dollar to help them get this fully funded and the movie is made. So and they talk about this um, when they're talking about their uh, Indiegogo campaign. It's not like some of the movies where it's like, if you fund this, then we'll make it. No, it's made, it's done. This is just going to make sure that that stuff is actually like, you know, produced in terms of like getting the discs actually made, getting the posters printed up, stuff like that. But everything is done and it is an amazing documentary. I absolutely love it. Um, when we did our Knox horror film fest coverage, this one, my gargala gargile award for movie that I'm most excited about sharing with other people because mm-hmm. it explains so much about this is why I l- not necessarily this is why, but it, It presents so many of the same things that I say about the movies that I love in terms of why I love them that it's just a great encapsulation of this This is me growing up watching movies. You should watch it. No, yeah, I completely
1: agree with everything you just said good i have nothing to add you're just tired of words am i tired of words i think so no i'm i I can word some more good uh so
0: (laughs) that'll be the next episode but then um after that it will be our coverage of the 2018 chattanooga film festival um yeah that that's gonna also be
1: fun i'm so oh man i'm so stoked and there's so many movies to watch between now and then yeah which is i mean you know a blessing and a curse yeah it's it's good and it's I bad. Just, I need to take like a couple of days off work or something and just watch movies. We need to
0: just quit our jobs and do this full time.
1: <sighs> Can't um, afford that.
0: No. But <laughs> I don't. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. All right. So we're not quitting our jobs, but we are going to keep talking about movies. Uh, we're just not going to keep talking about them now because we've already said a lot of words. Eric where do you
1: want people to find you Uh, find me on Twitter at the Chimerican on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y and you can find me on Facebook
0: and on Instagram at the Gargile Podcast on Twitter at Gargile Podcast and on Letterboxd at the Gargile and if you enjoyed this episode um, or any of the episodes that we've done be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast just do a search for the Gargile Podcast that's G-A-R-G-Y-L because it is a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. I know that's dumb. I do not care. I like dumb things. As evidenced by, you know, Kung Fu Brewery.
1: (laughs) And literally everything else that has ever been said on this podcast.
0: Respect adequate. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in in talking with Brian and um, did I just say Brian? In talking with Bill (laughs) and Kyle, God, people, our names are Good and fun and talking with bill and kyle a little bit today um i, I said something that i think might be the the new gargoyle uh motto ish we take movies seriously just not ourselves
1: exactly yeah no i love that i and whenever you said that i was like yeah we're definitely putting that on a t-shirt when yeah we make t-shirts if we make t-shirts
0: the so. t-shirt has
1: to be able to fit inside
0: of a fanny pack though
1: that's true yeah so we'll have you know a t-shirt that says slap that baby dragon and then another one that, that says what you just said yes whatever uh, you said so even <laughs> even though we are very
0: silly sometimes um we have a genuine love and appreciation for cinema we're just also keenly aware of the fact that hey sometimes we're idiots yes that's a thing that happens Full we'll stop yes all right that's been it for this episode of the gargoyle podcast i'm nathan aka the gargoyle
1: and i'm eric aka an idiot (laughs) (laughs) or the chimerican you know whatever works
0: (laughs) i don't know why that's so funny and remember kids um go to the chattanooga film festival it's april 11th through 14th tickets are still on sale Go be there. It's awesome. And if you see us,
1: you should be intimidated by us and not talk to us. No. Totally that kidding. is That is
0: like the exact opposite totally of what I exactly. want to happen.
1: It is. I'm going topsy-turvy today. <laughs> Please, if you are a fan of the show, we want to know who you are because I still don't believe that there are any of you out there. <laughs> I don't think this actually is a show. The podcast
0: isn't real. I would not be surprised if that were it's, true. It's all in a dream. We just... Or nightmare uh but, but yeah seriously if you're at the chat film fest come and talk to us you might think that we don't have a whole lot to say and we might not have a whole lot to say but we, we love movies so we'll at least like give you a high five.
1: Oh yeah definitely yeah seriously though i'm, I'm being a jerk for fun um <laughs> i will not be a jerk to you in real life
0: yes you will
1: no <laughs> no No, seriously, though, like, again, that's that's the thing I'm most looking forward to is just meeting people and talking about movies like that's one of my favorite things to do. So, of course, if you want to come talk to me about movies, I will be totally open to talking to you about movies. Yes. So come find us. Go to the chat film fest
0: and come back next time to hear us. To have so much fun with Bill and Kyle. It's it's an episode. Yeah. All right. Bye.